we had a really cool opportunity to sit down and talk with a friend of ours, a mentor of ours, uh, Morgan Snyder uh, from Become Good Soil and Ransomed Heart Ministries. And so in just a second, we're going to play the audio of this interview with him, but wanted to give you a little bit of background on Morgan, just so you have a sense of where he's coming from. Uh, Morgan's a strategist, an entrepreneur, a teacher, writer, and speaker, and he is incredibly passionate about both shaping and being shaped by the men and women who are shaping the kingdom of God. Uh, he started Become Good Soil back in 2010, um, really as you know, intending it to be a fellowship of leaders whose global reach could offer guidance for the narrow road of becoming the kind of person to whom God can confidently entrust the care of his kingdom. And while doing that, he also serves on the executive leadership team of Wild at Heart and Ransomed Heart Ministries, working alongside John and Stacey Eldridge. And he's been doing that for more than two decades now. Um, and one of the things that we love about Morgan is he goes off the grid every chance he gets. And since he's out in Colorado, that's not too hard to do. Um, one of his big passions is bow hunting in the Colorado wilderness, um, or just, you know, choosing the adventurous life in general. And he gets to do that with the family that he loves so much, his wife, Sherry, his son, Joshua, and his daughter, Abigail. We've really appreciated the opportunity to get to know Morgan, and I hope you appreciate the opportunity to get to know him now as well. Welcome to the Strong Towers Podcast, a podcast with one simple vision, build up, become strong. Welcome back to another Strong Towers podcast. This is John Ackerman. With me as always, Mike Lara and Tom Edwards. And as we mentioned in the opener, we are joined today by our friend and mentor, Morgan Snyder. And I just, I'm, for me, this is one of those episodes that I've just been geeking out about for a while. Um, you know, Morgan's been someone that's been really influential in my life. And I know the same has been true of Mike and Tom. And it's just it's one of those moments where I just really love that we get a chance to do what we do here, which is sit down and talk to people that just are able to offer great insight, um, life wisdom, and to do so in a way that is accessible to everyone. Um, so Morgan, thank you for being with us today, and we're just going to kick things off with a pretty open-ended question. What comes to mind for you when you think about the topic of mentorship? Yeah, it's a, it's a big question. And the reason why I say big, you guys, is when we talk about mentoring, there's often some fear, some hesitation, and there's often stories of hurt. That when we open ourselves up to risking receiving love, receiving care, receiving provision from someone that is in front of us, that has more miles on the odometer, has more experience in an area... Uh, often we end up getting hurt. And, and, and here's why, in part, is we often bring the young boy in us that's in desperate need for a father. And we can easily attach ourselves to another person. And something in our, even up, uh, subconscious, in our younger places, our wounded places, our uninitiated places, demand that this man become our father, 
not just father us, not just mentor us, but fill an ache that is so deep it's almost inexpressible. And so we can actually get hurt in the seat of our deepest need. And so that's why when we talk about mentoring, first off, it's so important to begin with what have you come to believe about God as Father? Fundamentally, not by simply just your creedal statements, not just your theology, but Dallas Willard says actions reveal beliefs 100% of the time. And so look at your lives, look at your actions, and notice what they say about what you have come to believe about God as Father? Do you believe that He is generous? Do you believe that He is actively participating, that He's actually the initiator, and that our job is to respond? Do you actually actively believe that you have a Father whose primary energy is to orchestrate our path of restoration and maturity, our path of initiation as men? Do you believe that you have a father that's got it all under control? That fundamentally it's not up to you. Because if we don't start there, then when we look at our motives on mentorship, we can get into some trouble pretty quickly. Uh, so there's some other places that I could go, but I think I'd, I just want to start there. Well, and so I know this is uh, is something that um, you spent a lot of time thinking through, um, and you are uh, kind of coming out of the other side of this, so to speak, in that you're getting the chance to now mentor men into this area of uh, of needing to surround themselves with like-hearted men that uh, can gift them something of the kingdom. But obviously, you didn't start there, right? So, how about can we take us back to? You're on the team with Ransomed Heart. Um, obviously, you're sitting under John and, and Stacy and their teaching and, and all of that. Um, but where did this uh, drive come from uh, toward the Become Good Soil material? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I think you have to take it even a step further back to at least visit my life as a young man that had gave my life to God. So in college, I had a radical and passionate conversion of faith and came to the end of my own personal resources. And I knew there was something larger than me. And I had tried everything else and I knew it was God. And so my faith was real. It was passionate. It was true. And also what's so important to name is I was still a boy in a man's body Mm -hmm. and I was uninitiated and I was fearful. And those things didn't go away when I gave my life to God. And so the story began with wondering about this question of how do I become a man? And at the time, it was more specific of how do I become a father? How do I become a husband? How do I become a leader? The things that I long to one day become, but I know I can't find them in me, not in the service of love. I can find those things in the service of self, in the service of a report card where I need to earn an A, but not in the service of offering my strength heroically in love, like letting go of outcomes and in any circumstances becoming the kind of person who has joy and happiness that cannot be taken away. Mm -hmm. And so I was young and uninitiated. I began asking questions. I ended up in this 
leadership program, and John Eldridge, you know, laid out the gospel of Wild Heart. For the first time in my life, it was a gospel big enough for everything that I was made for. You know, room to to fail and to succeed, and room to be a, a fully masculine, and room for dreams and sorrow and grief and hope. Um, and, and so I came to John as a young man and said, I, I'm in, I'm in, like, I want this, I want this. And what I, what I didn't understand, guys, at the time is I was, my broken heart was asking the question of, will you be my father? Mm-hmm. Okay, I couldn't have ever put words to it at the time, but I was a young boy asking the question, will you be my father? And John responded very graciously and said, well, what are your questions? And I said, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no, I don't even know what I should be asking, right? And so he said, that's okay, but go and figure out what your questions are. He said, apprenticeship in the kingdom is always shaped by the questions. And so come back to me when you have questions. And really what it was was simply an invitation into relationship to become curious mm. rather than have the answers. We all form answers in our soul. Mike Mason said, uh, the heart of a man, particularly a 30-year-old man, is like a densely populated city. Nothing can be built without something else being removed, mm. yeah. deconstructed in its place, right? And so we come into our 20s, late 20s, 30s, as very densely populated city-type souls in a man. We have exclamation points, and they have to be replaced with question marks. And so I began asking questions. I began to surrender my success, which I had succeeded readily in the service of self. And I began to ask more fundamental questions of what are the pitfalls? Where is life found? What is the most important thing? What is the path? What is the process? I began to ask John, but I began to ask a lot of other men. And through the time, what I also began to ask was the Father heart of God. I realized that God ultimately has to be the source of all things good and true and beautiful. And so I was able to seat my need, my questions in the heart of God for the very first time in my life. And so that began a 20-year apprenticeship, which all sorts of treasures came out of. But fundamentally, it was the shift of beginning to look at the check engine lights on the dashboard of my soul and beginning to ask the questions I didn't even know to ask. You know, Morgan, one of the things that I just so appreciate about the the way that you do this, um, kind of your approach to life, and particularly with this topic— that it's not simple. Um, and, and if anybody was listening, you know, hoping that, all right, here's the guy that's going to lay it out in three simple steps. Um, I mean, you're, you're not that guy for which I am forever grateful uh, because I think that's what I was looking at or that's what I was looking for early on was, all right, if I'm going to have to do some receiving from older men, you know, if, if I'm going to start to chip off the pride of the younger man just a little bit and acknowledge that the old folks have something to say, then they better give it to me quick so I can move on. And I love that you're describing mentorship, not as sort of a a passive acquisition of knowledge. You know, this isn't the matrix. We're not lowjacking into your brain or whoever's brain to download years worth of experience to then move on. But this is interactive. This is relational at its core. And just how reflective that is, how much that parallels, you know, what it seems like is God's truest desire with us is not just to teach us a bunch of things, but to bring us into a place of relationship where the relationship itself does the teaching. I just, I love the way that you lay that out. And it's, it's so not simple in the sense that it's quick and efficient, 
but its lack of simplicity just feels so much more powerful for that sake. Yes. Well, and and it's we have to we have to step here with compassion, you guys, because you know we are hardwired in our masculine strength in its brokenness, in its broken form, in its unredeemed expression. We want it simple, we want it easy, we want it quick, and we want it cheap. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not the way the kingdom works, right? That's not fundamentally how things work, but the offer is life. The offer is abundance. The offer is joy that cannot be taken. That's why I just love... St. Paul, one of the great men of the faith, when he's an old man and he's writing from a jail and he has suffered trauma on deep, profound levels, physical abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, he likely knows that he is going to be martyred. And he's writing a letter from a jail saying, I am far happier, happier than you think I probably am. He goes, because I've learned something. I have cultivated something. I've become something. I've learned a secret that whether I have a lot or I have a little, whether I'm well-fed or well, whether I'm hungry, I have passed through an initiation process. I have become the kind of person that whatever I have and wherever I am, I can make it through the one who has made me and who makes me who I am. He's talking about the person he's become over a process. Even when he goes through his conversion, that road to Damascus kind of famous moment, there are 14 years of silence. There is no expression of St. Paul's life for 14 years. And then he comes back with this brilliant writing where he is very aware of the internal landscape of his soul. And so, yes, I, I do want to say there are no shortcuts. <laughs> there are no shortcuts to God. And that's why even Jesus himself says there are no shortcuts, though we try to take them. But when we consent to a process, what we realize there is a Father that is initiating it, and it's filled with life. It's brimming with life. And so I planted eight very, very, very small pine trees in my yard a couple weeks ago. And I could have taken a little bit of our savings to go get bigger trees and more expensive trees. And where I live in Colorado, it takes seven years for a ponderosa pine to grow to two and a half feet tall. And then every year it grows another foot. So you do the math. It takes a long time to get big trees. But I felt like, God, I was so stacked with mission and work and technology, and my pace was getting faster, I felt like God was just prompting me, go get some saplings and just plant them. And I could tell, even from all this excavating, you guys, like still, I didn't want the slow and steady. I wanted to not build proper berms. I wanted to not till the soil. I did not want to add fertilizer. And then I wanted to run a sprinkler system, and God prompted me to just do it by a hose. (laughs) And what it's requiring is me standing every morning with a hose over eight little saplings in eight different places and just watering them. It's very slow. It's very inefficient. And it's so restorative because every day I've had the spiritual practice, the opportunity over these last couple weeks to do what's in my power to slow down, to be present to God, to be attentive to the moment, and to just simply allow that watering 
to be a manifestation, a, a soul symbol of what God's doing in my heart just for today, just for this proportion. But the moments become days and the days become decades. A decade become decades become our life and our life becomes our eternity. And so that's the way we get there to the life that we were made. But it happens in very small pieces over time. You know, Morgan, one of the analogies that I often use is taking a little tidbit from each person I meet and adding it to my toolkit, right? To go ahead and build that awesome toolkit to have these different things to use later on in life. And one of the things that I've taken from you, both from listening to the uh, Become Good Soil podcast, but also from uh, the basic, is just how to find God in in all the small things. Like just that story right there, like I would have just been, let's just run the sprinkler system. Let's figure out how to, how to make it efficient, how to get things done. Um, right now I'm taking on a challenge of, you know, I want to run a hundred miler before the year's out. And every day that I go out there and I'm running each and one of those miles, it used to be just, let me throw some headphones on, let me run and just kind of get it done and get it over with. And I've really taken the time now to slow down and, and I'm not going to run hundred miles at a, at a, you know, seven, eight minute pace. Right. But I'm slowing down in order to not only just hear myself, but also just take time to, to, to have that relationship with, with, with God, right. And recognize God in those moments of being outside and, and challenge myself physically. So I want to say thank you for that. That's one of the tidbits that I've taken from you and put in my toolkit. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Yeah, Mike, it's, that's really good. It, it really comes down to how we choose to see, you know, often people say seeing is believing, but I fundamentally believe in the kingdom of God. Believing is seeing. We see things mm. not as they are, but as we are. Mm. That's yeah. how we choose to see. And so as our worldview heals and matures, we see things more and more clearly. So right, thinking about your 100-mile race, like the far out, that's a fantastic adventure. And what I want to say is if the outcome is not what you hoped it would be, what is the fruit mm. that comes from engaging in the process? Right. Yeah. And if that fruit is good, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. My son was watching a documentary on Ironman yesterday, and I just popped in the room and saw this Australian you know, pro athlete, and he was devastated at the finish line because he got a flat tire, and it cost him the race. Mm. And I just thought, how much of this man's decade and year and relationships were all contingent on a flat tire, mm -hmm. it's just devastating, right? Because it was about the win, and it wasn't about the process and about the becoming, but I've seen different people, and I know some Ironmen, that it hasn't turned out well uh, necessarily at the finish line, but what God did through the, the, the mentoring and the participation and the initiation in the process, they have no regrets, right? What, get, what God gets out of our life is the person we've become. And that's the only thing we take with us. And that's the secret. It's the thing we take with us. And so, Mike, I love that you're going for it. And my question is just, you know, what are the motives? Because even when you talk about like the pieces, like you guys are all very accomplished men and you guys are go for it men. And because of your capacity, you are able to offer this podcast to strengthen the hearts of other men. There are a lot of people that aren't willing to pay the price that you're willing to pay, and that's beautiful. And what I also want to say is beyond the toolkit, what I've learned, it started with pieces 
of, I don't know how to fix a toilet. And so I would just go to Home Depot. I was married and I took a mortgage and I own this townhome now with this wife. I don't know how to fix her. I don't know how to fix the toilet. All of a sudden I can't fix anything. And it's all breaking like on the same weekend. And I find myself sitting in front of Home Depot and just crying out, God, I need you to father me. I just need you to father me. I don't even know what to do. And no one taught me how to fix a toilet. I can't afford a plumber. And I go in and there's an old kind man in the aisle and he just showed me a couple parts and I took a couple wax at it and and it worked and it was messy, but something got fixed even deeper than the toilet. It was something inside my soul. You know, Will Rogers has said sometimes the most important thing, the best thing for the inside of a man is the outside of a horse or perhaps the outside of a toilet. And so <laughs> I find myself needing to remember that sometimes it's pieces for my toolkit, but even more, it's a person. I'm recovering the father and I'm coming home to him as a son. And the more I grow in confidence that he is the initiator and I'm responding, the more I can bring uninitiated parts of me, fearful parts of me, parts of me, striving parts of me to the Father to be healed, restored, and strengthened, and become the kind of person that God can entrust more and more of his kingdom. And so it's a person, even more than the toolkit that we're after. Mm. Yeah. You talk about with uh, with Become Good Soil, uh, the decade of excavation, and now it, it's gone beyond that of, you know, you go through your first decade and what comes after that is another decade. And what would you say to a guy who says that's just too much that I, I can't look out that far? I can't commit that long. What would you say to that guy who's looking at that 10 years as just a, a daunting task? Yeah, it's a very fair question. And so I think what I'd offer in love is what an older man said to me. I remember because it was a poignant moment where I was in pain and I felt pressure on every side. And I looked into the eyes of an elder, a gray-haired sage. And I was about 30, and he was about 70. And he said, son, you think a decade is a very long time. But let me tell you, a decade is a very short time mm. for what's ahead for you. And it is far worth the price than to lose it all for decades to come. And I could see in his eyes was he was speaking out of a wisdom that I didn't have the privilege to have experienced. And I have a choice if I am going to waste my pain or not. It's what am I going to waste my pain because he's speaking from wisdom's long view and I can either choose to not participate that in that. And 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 Dallas Willard says, you know, truth is what we bump into when we're wrong. <laughs> it's what we bump into when we're wrong. And so I felt like now I had bumped my head enough to have ears to hear. And I knew I was angry when he was saying that. Cause I go, you don't understand. Like I've got a kid in diapers and every day feels like eternity. Mm. It feels like forever. And then I remember another mentor at those years and it was actually a, a, a woman, Stacy. And she said, Morgan, just remember the days are long, but the years are short. The days are long with these little kids, but the years are short. And I can now look at a man in his 20s and say, oh, oh, the treasure that you have, because these years are very short. But we have to borrow 
from the wisdom of the men that God be, have gone before us. And that's the model, and that's what God set up, set up, and that's what's available. And so what I would say to that man, first off, is a decade is a very short amount of time. Secondly, there is a way things work. There's a way things work. And so if you're not interested in that, that's okay. That God waits to be wanted. And so you have to find your bottom. Another man, another mentor said to me, well, when a man hasn't found his bottom, he's just not ready yet. And I'll wait until he finds his bottom. And this man deals with a lot of people in very deep addiction um, recovery programs. And so he sees plenty of people that haven't reached their bottom. And, and so all you have to do is look at older men, good men, in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and ask the question, what took them out? And most men are taken out. And they weren't much different than you when they were your age. And so we stand at a crossroads all the time. And at every crossroads, there's always a narrow gate being made available to us. And so God will allow us to suffer as long as we choose to suffer. And if we haven't found our bottom, it's not time. But a decade is a short amount of time. And we reap in the next decade what we've sow in this decade. And I remember turning 40 and looking at my wife and looking at my kids and looking at the fruit of my life from consenting to a decade. And I just get emotive even thinking about it now going, they were right. I was so mad and I fought it so much, but something in me, just a sliver said, I'm going to risk it. And here I was a decade into this and all I wanted was more of the same because the fruit was so good. So Morgan, as as we start to undertake that that decade of excavation, and as as we get ourselves to a place of being willing to submit, um, as you said, to to taking what's available from the men that are available to offer it. Another one of the challenges that we sometimes face is, like you mentioned, we so badly want that mentor to become our surrogate father, to fill those empty and broken places in us, to to make right what had gone so wrong before. Um, but even on a surface level, we find ourselves, especially in you know the 21st century world that we live in, we want people that are like us, and we seem to be really uncomfortable with the people that aren't. And so, if we're looking for spiritual mentors, you know, they either need to be as charismatic as we are, or as not charismatic as we are, or they need to be as conservative or as liberal as we are, or or even if that's not the area of guidance that we're looking for, we still judge you know, their acceptability as a mentor on some of those other categories. Uh, how do we, how do we start to get around that? How do we start to get past that to, you know, like Mike was saying, get, get the tools for the toolbox rather than, you know, trying to assimilate into the whole person that's standing in front of us. Yeah, John, it's a, it's a really intriguing question. Um, I think there's a couple different ways to get to a response. But one is, I remember sitting down with a mentor, Craig McConnell, when I was about 31 in this process. And I remember he wrote down kind of several proverbs of counsel, if you will. Mm-hmm. And one of them said, be passionate about what you believe and know that most of it will change in a decade. <laughs> and I thought, that's terrible. What are you talking about? That's horseshit. I'm staking my whole life on what I believe. Yeah. Like, and 
be passionate about what you believe and also know that most of it will change in a decade. Okay, and so, but it's just interesting that here, you know, 15 years later almost, I remember that moment. The spirit was present. Mm -hmm. And I remember part of what I believe God was wanting to say is, you are far, um, you have placed limits on who God can be. Yeah. on what he can do and how he can do it in your own life far more than you understand. And and you go to Isaiah 45, 46, 47, that's what it's all about. It says, does the man, does the, the, the man who is working clay and making a pot, does he look at the clay and then the clay turns back to him and tells him what to do, mm-hmm. right? It's like this, this play on words of saying, are you kidding? How does the created turn to the creator and try to tell him, what he's doing right or wrong. Like mm-hmm. we have placed limits on who God can be, what God can do and how God can do it. And so part of it is simply starting with that conviction. I know that there are limits that I've placed that I can't even understand. And so God had to blow up enough categories for me to fundamentally be comfortable with discomfort, to fundamentally become the kind of person to agree that I don't know, that I have placed limits on who God can be. And so we pray, uh, we have this daybreak prayer that's in Become Good Soil that you can find at the website, but we pray it every day with our kids. And one of the things we pray now every day, just modeling my kids, is I agree with who you are, God. I agree with what you're doing, and I agree with how you're doing it. And it's making the assumption that I agree with a God that I don't fully understand yet. And don't fully know what he's doing and how he's doing it. And so what it's doing is cultivating my posture to be open to things supernaturally that I have yet to come to understand or even believe. And so that's where, um, you know, one mentor said it's the difference between uh, a brick wall and a trampoline for our theology, where a brick wall, you know, you can tap on it with a, with a hammer and steadily after about 2,000 whacks, you might have the whole wall tumbling down, whereas a trampoline, you can bounce on it and it and, and it moves a little bit, and but it it goes back to its original shape. Mm-hmm. It has some elasticity, but it also has a permanence, and it's a lot more fun. <laughs> and so, I've taken my approach with my theology, with my walk with God, with my my discipleship as a trampoline instead of a brick wall, understanding that like I have to hold it loosely, but I have a God that is orchestrating it. It's not up to me. So kind of in that same category, uh, John had brought it up uh, maybe before we even started to record, and, and we mentioned, you know, you love to get outdoors and hunt and all that in Colorado. So in that category of unexpected and, and opening up the possibilities or, or maybe even just not missing the possibilities that God's putting in front of us, could you walk us through that, the archery story? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I think part of it you talked about, I appreciate it, John, when you're talking about we gravitate towards people that we have familiarities with. But in kingdom apprenticeship, it's always living in risk. It's always living on the edge of our frontier. And so in some ways, it's really important to be pushing up against people and things that are different than us. I remember one of the mentors that I sought out at the very very beginning was a Jewish professor, a music arts and ideas professor um, of my wife that uh, when she was in university. And this man was, was, was a, a Jewish man that had 
been teaching at a university with a lot of Christians and had a very negative experience of Christianity. But he was a professor that brought truth, goodness, and beauty to students like no other professor I ever encountered. And my wife thought this man was amazing. Well, I have so much respect for my wife. I said, if she thinks he's amazing, he has something of God's kingdom, and I want to know what he has. Hmm. And his counsel was some of the most formative counsel that I received. And so it was willingness to be messy, to step out of the boxes. And so I grew up in a very white-collar world. I was a golfer, suburb kid. My dad grew up very poor. His dad was an orphan, and my dad dreamed of being a biologist, but he also had a deep wound of, I'm loved when I provide financially, because his family was always in poverty. They went bankrupt. He saved the family with his piggy bank. Literally, they broke the bank to save the family. So my dad spent his whole life trying to make money, so he became a doctor. So I, I lived in an outsourced house. My dad had a lot of love, but he just simply wasn't home. And he wasn't there to teach me the things I needed to learn as a man. And I remember wanting to learn how to fish, but it was just so far away. And as I became a Christian and as I stepped into my adulthood and moved to Colorado, I was so eager to learn about the mountains and about uh, fly fishing and bow hunting. But I was terrified. If you could see the internal landscape of my soul, I was a scared little boy. I felt so awkward, and I felt like I was just going to get exposed because I'm an inside kid. I'm, a, I'm an Argyle socks wearer. That's who I am. I had matching sets of Argyle socks with the golf sweaters. And so to be around men with a Fu Manchu with car hearts, I just felt scared. I felt exposed. I felt like a poser. But I knew I... I wanted to become a wholehearted man, and I knew I wasn't there yet, and I knew this was a piece. And so I started asking questions, and I humbled myself, and and I was willing to lose, and I was willing to feel failure, and I, I suffered enough to know it couldn't get worse than this. And so short of it is I just started, and it was messy. I remember showing up at Colorado Parks and Wildlife for an Elk 101 class, and it should be called Elk Hunting for Orphans, right? Like fatherless <laughs> boys. And there's three teachers and two scary old dudes that were totally intimidating. And then this one young guy that was just passionate about elk and passionate about backcountry. And I just went passionate about bow hunting. And I said, I want to become like that guy. So I reached out to my buddy, that guy, Brian. And I said, I, can I ask you some questions? Can I get can I buy you coffee? I want to learn. And, you know, and the very few people ask questions, and most of those people are just saying, just tell me where the good spots are. And I said, I don't want the good spots. I just want to learn how to learn. Like, what should I do? I don't know anything about hunting. And he said, I'm going to send you out. I know a couple places you can scout. And I went out by myself. I didn't have the right gear. I didn't know what I was doing. But I ended up this 21-mile excursion over a weekend. And it was thrilling. And I came back to him, and I said, I did it. What's next? And he turned to me with a curiosity, like not too many people do what I tell them to do, right? <laughs> and so begins a friendship. And, and now he's my hunting partner and one of my very best friends, and we're raising our kids together. It was a process of stepping into the discomfort. And so I began to ask the question of, God, how can you father me? How do I do this? And so I wanted to learn how to bow hunt. And I bought a bow, and I went to the local archery shop. And you have to understand, I felt like a boy— and I felt like a, a fancy boy, an, 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 a suburban boy, right? And, and so I just show up at the shop, and I just say, God, I need a father. I need a father. So I walk into the shop, 
and there's this old lady, partially paralyzed face, and this really bad dye job with these thick glasses. And there's no guys around. And I'm thinking, just my luck and just my prayer life, right? I ask for a father, and I get this old lady. But I'm like, hey, what do I have to lose? I have nothing to lose. In the kingdom of God, when we have a father, we're so safe. We're so provided for. We can take enormous risks. And so I said, I'm looking for someone to teach me how to shoot this thing. And she said, I can help you with that. And I go, well, might as well. Well, it turns out she spent 46 years of her life teaching children how to shoot a bow. She was an Olympic archer. And she was exactly (laughs) what I needed. She had the firmness of an old cowgirl, the patience of teaching children for 46 years. I was a boy inside a man's body. And she had kindness and tenderness that I needed to not give my way to shame. And God fathered me through this saggy old woman. (laughs) God often gives us not what we want, but what we need. And so that's where he showed up in that piece and the stories I could tell. But now to have my son in the field, we just went on a hunt this past week, or actually yesterday. We went on a hunt and did about 10 miles off trail. And it was absolutely incredible. And I'm pretty proficient in the woods. And I think most people, when they walk in my house and see my treasures, they probably think this is a pretty outdoors guy that has been raised by a father that was a wilderness man. And that's not true. What's true is God, my father, knows his way in the wild. And he's glad to apprentice me if I'm willing to receive the process. And I love the way you, you describe that as being the apprentice of, of, of God and taking that in, in stride. Because for me, in, in, in the situation that I find myself now where I've really started to lose contact with my with my dad, and uh, I'm raising three boys now, and so it's oftentimes that I'm looking for, for answers, right? I'm looking for the, hey, how do I how do I discipline here? Or how do I teach my, my children more about God in this situation? Or the whole process of raising men of God, especially for myself who wasn't raised in the church, is something I find oftentimes really, really hard. I think the thing that I've gotten, especially from like John and Tom here is, is one of the things that I was always asking them is like, man, I, I just need a coach. I just need somebody to help me along and, and to teach me. And, uh, both these guys have, have been very, you know, patient with me and t- Mike, you know, we, you need to find a mentor. And, uh, I, one of the things that I've loved about both your stories, as you talked about mentorship is going to the father first. Well, exactly Mike, because it frees you then to receive the portion of the mentorship that God brings and the part in which he wants to bring it. I have a a friend that is extraordinary um, manager of finances, and he is a terrible manager of his health. And he is not a good mentor if I'm looking for a one-size-fits-all, right? Like (laughs) You don't want to follow his ways with his fitness. He's not going to help you with that 100-mile race. Um, but he sure can help you be a steward of your finances. And the thing is, no one was meant to be everything. Everyone gets something, but no one gets everything. And we're meant to run with our something. What's your something, and how do you offer that to the world? And that something was meant to be built on the foundation of being a wholehearted man. That is the thing we share in common. And so Mm -hmm. when you have a father... Not only can you respond not to what you want, but what he needs to bring to you, but you can get pieces and parts and bless people to also be in process. Because anytime you get close to an older man, you will be disappointed. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. 
it's not up to him. It's up to your father. And with your kids, Mike, what I what I just want to reflect back is we offer to them the person we've become. And that is so hopeful because you can control that. When you consent to your own path and process of becoming the kind of man, becoming the kind of king to whom God can gladly entrust the care of his kingdom, you'll know how to offer that to them. You'll know what to do. It will be on time, and you will point them to the Father. You know, my son turned 16 this month, and we had a very beautiful initiation planned for him at this stage of his passage, and it all went sideways because of COVID-19, and mm-hmm. I could feel that knee-jerk reaction of, come on, I only have one son. He only turned 16 one time. But then the Father reminded me, he's like, I got you, and I got him and I'm bigger than this, and I have something perfectly planned for this hour for what his heart needs. Mm -hmm. And so let go of your agenda and listen in to what I'm bringing for your son. Don't miss this treasure. It's only from that, that freedom to really consent to the process, to start with the Father, to look for the pieces, forgiving older men, that, that we become what we would want our children to become. And that's the path of initiating sons and daughters. Um, Morgan, in the midst of what we were just talking about, you had said something that then sparked another question. Um, You know, we're so binary, I think, by default. It's just easier for us if it's, you know, black or white, on or off, one or zero. And it seems like so often in God's kingdom, the answer is usually both. You know, it's it's both and. And... right. It would be so easy for us to just sit in this place of, all right, so I I need mentors. I need to submit myself to a process of becoming. I need to look for these areas that are in need of development. I, I need to let God bring these things to mind. I need to let God bring me mentors. And yet we were also just talking about the fact that everybody gets something. Everybody gets something to offer. And so in our becoming how do we also then allow ourselves to offer what we have? You know, how do we not yes. then just default to right. the other side of, I have nothing to offer. I can't be trusted with anything right now. Give me about 30 years and check back in. Totally. Right. Cause the temptation is to go to paralysis, right? right? Where we just say, no, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready. But you always have something to give and always have something to receive. It is a journey and it is a process. And so that, that, that's, you know, transformation, that's restoration. The gospel is far more than salvation. That's restoration. And so the question is, what do you have to offer and what do you what do you need to receive? But one of the things I've learned in this process is the son is needed by the teacher. The, I'm sorry, the father needs the son as much as the son needs the father. Mm-hmm. The teacher needs the student as much as the student needs the teacher. The, in, in many ways, Actually, being a son validates the, who the father is because he's not a father without the son. Mm-hmm. The, being a student validates the teacher. And so I remember I own this house and I needed to install an all house attic fan. And I had fixed the toilet, I'd painted, I'd learned a few things, but like two story ladder, electric with a fan, cutting a hole at the outside of my house, it just felt like <laughs> above my pay grade. Yeah. And I also learned 
that I want to learn those things. I've come to have the humility, there's things beyond my, beyond my competence, but also the confidence to risk. I want to learn these things. Mm-hmm. So I got the name of a handyman and I called him and I said, hey, I want to hire you. I heard you came recommended. I'll pay you full price. There are very few things I pay full price for. <laughs> I will pay you full price. If you let me do it with you, can I help you for free? And he kind of paused, and he just goes, that's kind of different. <laughs> like, no one's asking that question, right? Because it's not about the all-house attic fan. It's about initiation. It's about fathering. And Skip mm-hmm. was my handyman, and he has become one of my great friends. And last week, his son became a father, and he, he, he sent me his picture. Like, I'm part of his family, and it started yeah. with me bringing my need. It started with me bringing my lack. It started with me saying, Skip, you're amazing. Tell me some more stories when you were in the Marine Corps. And his son was not doing well at the time. He was kind of off the rails. And I stepped in actually as a son figure that could validate the strength that he had to offer, the wisdom that he had to offer. You know, and he taught me with a brilliant counsel of do it like you're stupid, not like you're smart. I can't tell you how many times that wisdom has saved my ass. Do it like you're stupid and not like you're smart. I oversolve most things in my life. Yeah. And, and, and so the stories I could tell, but it was because I came in humility. I knew I needed to learn pieces. And I risked offering what I had. And at that time, it was even to simply bring my need and bring my ache without putting the pressure on him. And that's what was so important. He couldn't save my life or he couldn't be my father, but he could give me a piece and I could reflect back something that actually he needed and I didn't even know I had to offer. Mm. Yeah. And so now you've you've gone through this this journey and continue to go through this journey of, of uh, cultivating and excavating and picking up the pieces and, and putting them in your toolkit, like Mike had said. And now, really exciting, um, and and I think all three of us are excited about it, um, and can't wait the next couple of weeks. But uh, you are now offering wisdom in a book, right, for the first time. Yeah, it is. You know, it's it's really the um, culmination of these twenty years of Kingdom Apprenticeship, Kingdom where it started with started asking, questions asking questions and, and taking, taking the lowest seat at the table. table and excavating over building and over this time of sitting with sages and guides over 75 for more than two years at the beginning i sensed that god had entrusted to my care some sort of process of curating and distilling these ancient treasures you know chesterton says that every generation loses the gospel in this path of life and every generation is charged with its recovery and you guys what's so hopeful is what i found in this path and process of restoring the heart of a man is it wasn't new but it was newly recovered mm-hmm. that it had been lost but it is being found and these mentors began to paint a gospel picture of a path back to life to become wholehearted to live in union with God and become the kind of man, the kind of king to whom God can gladly entrust more and more of the care of his kingdom. And so after about 10 years of 
consenting to a process, lowest seat at the table. One of my peers just urged me saying, he's making it impossible to stay in this seat. You've got to offer this to others. And so we began the Become Good Soil Intensives, which was a way of gathering these younger men these like-hearted and seeding them with older men and excavating our stories and, and leaning into their wisdom and their counsel. And so what was birthed from that was the Become Good Soil podcast, Become Good Soil blogs. But in the time, I sensed that God wanted me to write it in a message where it could reach the many and find the few. And I believe I am a messenger and a, a, a curator and distiller of the gospel. And so I, I passionately wanted to write that message, but I started it years ago and God was very firm in saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to first become the kind of person that I can entrust this message to your care. And secondly, I want you to take the time to slowly and steadily put this message in the form that it can be deeply beneficial and transformational for men. And then I want you to find a way to bring it to the world. And so I did that over years. And I wrote the book, Study Guide, is an in-depth process over time to do the slow and steady excavation. And I put together a six-session video series as an entree for individuals or a group of guys to wrestle with these big ideas in a creative way. And I wrote the book over time and then found a way to publish it to bring it out to the world. But all of it simply became stewardship of what God entrusted mm. to my care so I could find the like-hearted. And in this hour on the earth, we can be part of the process of healing and restoration and bringing masculine power and strength in the service of love, in the service of the good, rather than just the need for self-interest and self-protection out of a broken heart. So yeah, I put that together and it is exciting to bring it to the world. Um, it's all available at becomingaking.com. But primarily the reason why it excites me most is every generation has a few. It's always tribal. It's always on the fringes. History always teaches us that it's not mainstream, but the gospel is available to all of us. And God is looking to entrust men with the care of his kingdom. And we can become those men. It's available to all, but only a few say yes. And so for those that say yes, I say welcome. And like you guys, I am a fellow apprentice, and I simply want to say there's more. Morgan, we, we couldn't agree more, and, and we're so thankful for this opportunity to to learn from you, to, to share this journey with you. Um, we're thankful that you helped us to become you know, these kinds of like-hearted kings that have then been able to find each other and share the little that we've been given um, with those that we've been given the privilege to interact with. Uh, but we could not have done it without people like you that showed us that the path was there in the first place and how to begin walking it. Um, so with profound sincerity and gratitude, uh, thank you for the effect that you've had here Um and allowing us to become the kind of men that I don't know that we ever imagined we could become mm. and to then begin to offer what we've been given in turn. So thank you, my friend. Well, oh, you're welcome. Well, I want to say, yeah, to Tom, uh, John, to you and Mike, to you, I, I want to thank you back because um, this is a shared gospel and it's not new. We're not the first generation and we won't be the last, but we can say something deeply and profoundly 
through our lives of what God is like. Um, and it comes through our consenting to a path and a process. It is uh, increasing wholeheartedness, and there is so much joy available. So it's an honor to share it with you and to all those listeners. I just encourage you to start where you are. And just even in this podcast, the temptation is to just go bang out a bunch of other things you need to do, <laughs> binge on more content, and get a bunch of stuff done. If I could offer any encouragement, it would be to pause after this podcast. Just pause for 60 seconds. Find your breath. Listen in to God. Let go of the busyness for a moment and ask your father what he's wanting to say to you just this day, just to you, and just what he's bringing for your initiation through this podcast and to ask him what's the next step. Yeah, that's really good. That's really, really good. Well, thanks, brother. We appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. guys, I'm so proud of you. Way to go, man. You're doing it. It matters. It matters. It matters. Keep going. And above all else, care for your own hearts. Receive the care. Receive mm. the care. Like you, you need to feed your souls with good things and slow and steady wins the race. And it is a marathon and it's a hundred miles long. So um, <laughs> do well for yourselves and your friendship. Don't give it all away. Okay. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Amen. Hey guys, Tom here. If you like the conversation that we were having uh, this week on the podcast, make sure to give us a, a like or a review in your podcasting app. And we'd love for you to join in the conversation uh, beyond just uh, just what we got to talk through this week. So uh, find us on Facebook. We have a private group on Facebook now. You can uh, get to that through our website, strong-towers.com, or on Facebook you can search for We Are Strong Towers. Uh, like I said, it is a private group, so you'll need to ask uh, for us to, to let you in there just to keep it a safe space for guys to engage in, in deep conversation as we look at these topics that are uh, so important to who we are and, and uh, how we approach life. Um, follow us on social media also at strong underscore towers on Instagram and Twitter.